Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue our investigation of Jesus and Paul's favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself the very basic question, what is the Christian Gospel? What did Jesus challenge his audience to believe? As the Gospel or Good News, what did Jesus mean by the phrase so often found on his lips, the gospel about the kingdom of God. When did you last hear a preacher or evangelist invite us to repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom of God, as Jesus invited his audience to do in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15? We've been following the ministry of Jesus through Galilee and finding that there was an underlying theme which preoccupied him above all. It was the theme having to do with the kingdom of God. We discovered last time that Jesus, in fact, trained his disciples in the gospel of the kingdom and then sent them out to proclaim that same kingdom of God message as we read in Luke chapter 9 and verse 2. In his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave a fundamental principle for living out the Christian life. In Matthew 6 verse 33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things, physical needs and so on, will be added to you as a bonus but, you see, he makes seeking the kingdom of God the first priority in life. The same subject of the kingdom of God dominated the conversation between Jesus and his disciples after the death and resurrection of Jesus. For almost six weeks, for forty days, in fact, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. We read this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, where Jesus reappeared to the disciples on a number of occasions and continuously spoke of the kingdom of God, obviously his favorite gospel topic. Now Luke also tells us about the information that's required for salvation when a potential believer comes to Christ and seeks to obey him and follow him. Luke tells us the following in Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. He reports there the account of Philip. And what was Philip preaching about? Well, we read in Acts 8:12, When they believed Philip as he was proclaiming the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women. We have in that verse, Acts 8:12, what we might call an early creed, a simple statement of what Christians in the first century were accustomed to believe before they were ready to be baptized. And obviously they were expected to grasp the fundamental idea about the gospel of the kingdom of God. So Acts 8 verse 12 is a verse we need to come back to frequently. It lays out before us in the simplest terms the heart of what people believed as they joined the Christian church under the ministry of the apostles in the first century. Now Jesus promised a supreme reward to his disciples. Rather amazingly, he never spoke about going to heaven as people customarily do today. So often we hear people say, when I get to heaven, or so-and-so is in heaven, or heaven is going to be wonderful, and so on. Well, Jesus doesn't actually use that language. Now, this may come as something of a shock, if that's the first time you've heard this said. But we invite you, as a good Berean student, to study the words of Jesus in the New Testament and check our findings carefully. Why not treat yourself to a Bible study on this specific question? What reward did Jesus offer his followers? Did he talk of going to heaven at death? Or did he rather talk of 
inheriting the kingdom of God in the future. Well, here's a good example, for instance, of what Jesus said to his disciples about their future and their destiny. He promised them a supreme reward. They were to assist him in the rulership of the new world coming or the new age of the coming kingdom of God on the earth. Here are Jesus' own words. I quote, I assign to you a kingdom as my Father has covenanted a kingdom to me, and you're going to sit on thrones to govern the twelve tribes of Israel. That surely is a most illuminating verse. Check it in Matthew 19, verse 28, and the parallel passage in Luke 22, verses 28 to 30. Jesus obviously envisaged a royal future for his disciples. He had covenanted with them, because the Greek word there has to do with covenant. He covenanted with them to give them the kingdom, just as his father had covenanted with him to give him a kingdom. And he promised his followers that they would sit on thrones to administer or govern the twelve tribes of Israel. I mention in passing that the word judge that you may find in your versions there is a little bit misleading. In the Hebrew world of thought, the word judge is more than just issuing punishments. Often the word judge, which appears many times in the Old Testament, has to do rather with governing and administering or ruling. For example, the book of Judges in the Old Testament was not a book about those who simply issued sentences and punishments. The judges were administrators in Israel. And there's also the fact that kings, when they function, judge others. Psalm 2, verse 10, and so on, gives us an equation between kings and judges. Many modern commentaries point this out, the fact that judging in the Bible means more than what we mean by judging. It means to administer, to supervise, to rule, and to govern. And so in Matthew 19, verse 28, and in Luke chapter 22, verses 28 to 30, Jesus spelled out in the clearest terms the objective of the faith that he was teaching to his apostles. He gave them an assignment in the coming kingdom and promised them that they would rule or govern the twelve tribes of Israel regathered in the land. Of course, you will see at once that all of this is very Jewish, but this is hardly surprising since Jesus himself was a Jew, basing his teaching on the Jewish Bible, on the Hebrew Bible, the law, the prophets, and the writings, as he himself described it in Luke 24, verse 44. And if you examine the Hebrew prophets carefully, you will find that they were always speaking about a marvelous future to be realized here on this earth, when the twelve tribes of Israel would be regathered in the land, when the Messiah would enjoy an unparalleled era of peace and prosperity as he ruled over a peaceful earth. And the lion would lie down with the lamb, and the cow and the bear would graze together in the same field, and even poisonous snakes would be made harmless, and children would be able to play with them without danger. And the whole world would enjoy, as the prophets envisaged it, what is known as the rule of the Messiah, or indeed the kingdom of God. No wonder then that Paul, faithfully following Jesus, could sum up his whole ministry by calling it the preaching of the gospel about the kingdom of God. In Acts 20, verse 25, we find there in that farewell speech that Paul gave to the Ephesian elders that he recorded what he had constantly done among them, namely preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. Acts 20, verse 25. And so Luke, in his account in Acts, wishes us never to forget what the apostles always proclaimed as the Christian gospel. He informs us that Paul preached the kingdom of God for three whole months in Corinth, 
We find that in Acts chapter 19, verse 8. And then when the Jews largely rejected the message of Paul, Paul took the same message, the gospel of the kingdom of God, to the Gentile people. And we find this in the 28th chapter of the book of Acts, verse 31. And you may wish to check the 23rd verse also of that last chapter of the book of Acts. The gospel of the kingdom was the constant preoccupation of Paul in his ministry. It is also, of course, the gospel about the kingdom of God, which must be constantly preached until Jesus returns at the end of the age. We read these memorable words in Matthew 24, verse 14. This gospel about the kingdom must be preached in the whole world to all the nations as a witness, and then the end of the age will come. Matthew 24, verse 14. If you perhaps have wondered whether the gospel of the kingdom of God is different in some way from the gospel of grace, you can settle the question once and for all by looking at what Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verses 24 and 25. In his famous farewell speech to the Ephesian elders gathered before him, Paul said that he'd been preaching to them the gospel of the grace of God. And in the very next verse, Paul defined what that gospel of grace was. He said he'd been preaching or heralding the kingdom of God. And so it's obvious that the kingdom of God gospel and the gospel of the grace of God are interchangeable terms. They are synonymous ways of speaking of the same one gospel message. There's no distinction at all drawn between the gospel of the grace of God and the gospel of the kingdom. They mean exactly the same thing. Now, I have the authority of no less an expert than F.F. F. Bruce on this question, who in his commentary on the book of Acts says the following, The grace of God revealed in Christ is the subject of the good news or gospel. It's evident, Bruce says, from a comparison of Acts 20, verse 24 and verse 25, that the preaching of the gospel of grace is identical with the proclamation of the kingdom. Now, all this has a very simplifying effect on New Testament theology and Bible understanding. We can be absolutely certain that there's one gospel and one gospel only, and it's always known as the gospel about the kingdom of God. With this evidence before us, and there's much, much more, we may say that no one honestly in search of biblical truth can miss recognizing the principal idea behind the Christian message of salvation the kingdom of God is undoubtedly the heart and the core of Jesus and the apostles' preaching of salvation, the basic idea around which true Christianity revolves. Now, many commentators on the Christian faith have pointed out the very remarkable fact that contemporary preaching often seems to omit all reference to the gospel about the kingdom. Biblical Christianity is founded, as we've seen, on the message of the gospel about the kingdom of God and about the Messiah, Jesus, the king of that kingdom. If, however, we inquire of various contemporary denominations, we seem to find that the kingdom of God is one of the least well-known topics in their preaching. The following words of a former head of the Church of England point to an extraordinary absence of Jesus' central message. Apparently, the churches have not been proclaiming the same message as Jesus and the apostles did. Consider these words, if you will, of a distinguished church leader, the Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, who in a well-known book about personal religion and the life of fellowship, wrote the following extraordinary words. Every generation finds something in the gospel which is of special importance to itself, 
and seems to have been overlooked in the previous age or sometimes in all previous ages of the church. The great discovery of the age in which we live is the extraordinary prominence given to the gospel of the kingdom of God in the teaching of Jesus. End of quotation. To us, the archbishop said, it's quite extraordinary that the kingdom of God figures so little in the theology and religious writings of almost the entire period of Christian history. Certainly, he went on to say, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the kingdom of God has a prominence which could hardly be increased. End of quotation. And so we have it on the authority then, not only of the Bible itself, but of a leading church expert, a leading biblical expert, that the gospel of the kingdom was indeed the most prominent feature of the teaching of Jesus Christ and original Christianity. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to request from us our free book on the kingdom of God, a tape of the program you're currently listening to, and also an article entitled The Christian Gospel. In that article, we list all the various phrases which point to the one and only gospel as Jesus preached it, the gospel about the kingdom of God. We invite you also to be following our discussion on the next occasion and to be searching these important issues out in your own Bible at home. Remember always in your studies that Jesus was a first-century Jew who must be understood in his own first-century Jewish context. Join me again as I continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.